So November 2017, it was just a great privilege to be able to go on a trip with a group of people from True North to be able to partner with the work of Compassion in Indonesia. I guess before I went, I really didn't know. I had no expectations. Um, maybe a bit fearful um, about travelling overseas. Sometimes you hear about things happening over there that aren't always safe. Before leaving Perth, I had a bit of fear, anticipation, excitement, all those feelings, but um, probably not my comfort zone. My expectations for the trip would have been a little bit vague, to be honest, um, going into it. It was something that I hadn't done for a long time, and so going in, it was more about going together as a team, seeing what happens in Indonesia through compassion. Coming away from it, just eyes open again to the reality that they are just making a huge difference. get a bigger, larger picture of what we do um, when we give money. We've sponsored Children for Compassion for nearly 40 years and they're just a name on a paper, photos, correspondence, but to actually be with them and see the excitement on their faces, that was something I was really looking forward to. For me it was more about the child workers, the youth workers there, the compassion workers were amazing people and I just hit it off really well with um, some of them and it meant a lot to them that we actually cared, that they were actually doing the stuff that they were doing so well already without us even being there but it was a real encouragement for them. Compassion's work there is amazing. They work with the churches. The churches get so much more from a program than, than we could do by just sending people in. Uh, it's changed your thinking on how aid works. I think it was really a real community-based program that was centred around the children and all the workers we saw, the different churches we went to, really had a um, genuine interest in the children. The children would come up to them, they would hug them, they were obviously comfortable around them. And something that I thought was amazing was there were actually um, Muslim mothers bringing their kids to the after-school programs as well. The fact that the Christian church and the Muslim church worked together, to a point, obviously, was quite, um, quite humbling. Compassion gets 10 out of 10 from me when it comes to the way they apply, the way they work within the country. And the work they do with the children, especially with children and babies, uh, is amazing. And every dollar spent is worth it. huge highlight for us and this happened over and over again, being able to visit family after family and not just seeing these kids who are sponsored, I can name name after name of all these kids being sponsored by True North people and you see that and it just brings it all back home to think there's a huge difference that that family's story is completely changed as a result from someone in Perth being able to sponsor these kids' compassion, they just do an amazing job. It's inspiring, hey? Yeah, I see a clap there. You can clap, that's fine. <laughs>
You know, if we haven't met before, my name is Lauren and I'm one of the pastors here and I get the privilege as one of the things I oversee is our global impact across both our campuses and um, and I show you that that video of, of a trip that took place last November and I'll talk a little bit more about that um, further on in my message. But this morning I get to come and bring you a message all about our global impact, um, a fairly practical message. I'm really able to show you what it is that when you give here each week that you're actually giving towards. A lot of things that you may not be aware are even happening, but to recognise, actually, when you give each week here, this is what you're giving towards. So that's what I get to do this morning. And um, before I do that, I want to just paint a picture of our God. And uh, I'm going to do that using some Jenga. Now, I'm going to need a volunteer. I need someone to come and help me. Jamie, you look like you're ripe for the picking. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's play some Jenga. <coughs> now, who here has played Jenga before? It already looks a bit wobbly. <laughs> You've all played? All right, so Jamie, let's go. Let's see how this works, in case you're unfamiliar with Jenga. Oh, she's going low, straight away. She wants a quick game. Yeah, it's going to be quick. Yeah? Oh, okay. All right, I'm going to kind of do a bit more of a... Oh, there we go. That one came easy. All right, it's you, Jamie. Ah, she said she's out of practice. All right, we're going to cut. Oh. oh, gosh, okay. It's getting wobbly. Yeah, right. We're getting there. You've set me up. No, it's hard to cheat in Jenga. Oh, okay, we're still going. All right, let's... let's See if we can, uh, that's right, risky move. Mm, we're getting higher. All right, quick game's a good game, so maybe we'll go for the, uh, for the base. See how we do. It's getting wobbly. It's getting real wobbly. Not wobbly enough, though. All right. Oh, it's hanging on. It's hanging on. All right. How bold am I? Go for it. Go for it. Okay, okay. All right, Jamie. No challenge. Yeah, yeah, right. No. Oh, oh. There we go. No, stick around, though. Now tell me, with Jenga, is the game finished? No. What do we have to do now? We've got to rebuild. So, what happens? We grab all these pieces, and for Jenga to continue, we've got to build it up. Now, the reason this is important is because when it comes to global impact, when it comes to our impact in the community, you build it up for me, Jamie. The lesson we need to remember, and for some of you, this is all you'll hear today, and that's okay, is that God is a God who rebuilds. Just like in this game of Jenga, the point isn't just that you knock it down and fall down, but actually that you rebuild again, and then you pull it out, and then you rebuild again, and so it goes on and on and on. You know, our God is a God who rebuilds. It's just who he is. You can take it if you like. I think Phil was going to take it too. He can come and, come on, Phil, you can come and grab the chair for me. And so we play that, you know, fun game, because I really want you to understand that. That our God is a God who rebuilds. It's just who he is. 
He rebuilds our lives. He rebuilds the life of a whole community. And his heart, his kingdom plan would be that he could renew, he could rebuild nations even. And you know, last week, as we celebrated Pentecost, we celebrated the reality that the Holy Spirit has come and he's come upon us to empower us. And in Acts 1 verse 8, we read Jesus telling us that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere about me, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's with that in mind that we choose as a community of believers, as followers of Christ, to make sure that who we are is not just about this particular space, but it goes out from here into our local communities. And from there it goes out into our country and from there it goes to the ends of the earth. And so as a church, it's a great privilege for us to be able to partner, not just in our local community. You know, if you've been around here for any length of time, you'll be aware of, of a bit of a, a statement that we declare to remind ourselves of who we are. And this is what it says. Over the next 10 years, and that was a couple of years ago now that we even started talking about this, we'll become a centre for renewal as we passionately pursue his presence. And global impact is no different than that. It's recognising that as we engage in God's kingdom work of renewal, of rebuilding, that that goes beyond our local context. It begins with you, it begins with me. It spreads out, it's a ripple effect out into our community. And that ripple continues on to the ends of the earth. So we believe passionately that God wants us to be about renewal. He wants us to be a place known for rebuilding not just here in our local context, but beyond that space. And, you know, as witnesses for Christ, as we re um, hear about in, in Acts, we're called to both practically demonstrate and speak with our words the love of Christ. And it's both those things that we seek to do on a more global scale. You know, you may or may not have been aware, as I mentioned earlier, that each week as we give in our offering... We actually put money aside each and every week that goes towards our global impact. So you may not have been aware that that's something you're already contributing to. And if you give here weekly, thank you. And I hope that the rest of this message inspires you and encourages you to realise what you're actually partnering with us in. You know, each year on average, it works out to be about $60,000 that we're able to use to spread beyond our local context. And there's lots of different areas that that goes towards. You know, how do we work out what it is that we contribute towards and the organisations that we partner with? Because it doesn't take you long before you watch the news, before you hear with your heart all that's going on in our globe to recognise there's no shortage of need. Sometimes it's easy to get paralysed. And it's really important for us to recognise that as a church, as True North, we're trying to establish what it is that God would have us do the work that he would have us participate in. Because we can't do everything, but if we put our focus, our attention to some key areas, then our prayer and our hope is that God can use those partnerships. He can use that to develop, to rebuild communities beyond our context. So there's a lot of prayer that goes into that. You know, there's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of um, looking at what is best practice in development around the globe. Because there's a lot of study, there's a lot of research that would say that in generations gone past, unfortunately, the help that the church has sought to bring to developing nations hasn't actually borne the fruit that we would have hoped. 
So there's a lot of challenge for us as a church to not be naive about what we're stepping into, to not be naive about the communities and the complex situations that we're dealing with. And so one of the things we um, kind of strongly lean on for us as a church is partnerships with other organisations. Because we recognise there are global organisations, aid organisations, Christian aid organisations that are doing a great work on the ground with people on the ground, aware of communities, aware of complexities, that to be honest, as we sit here in Perth, it's really hard to get a gauge on. We recognise there's no real point in reinventing the wheel, so to speak. The amount of hours and manpower and, and finances it would take for us to truly understand a local situation across the globe and really establish how it is that we could bid into it, build into it, would take a very long time. So we're very grateful to have some wonderful organisations that we partner with that can help us take this renewal, this rebuilding that we believe so strongly about and see it happen in nations around us. I'm going to show you a little slide and I'm going to give you a little bit of a, uh, a lesson if you like. Is that okay? Here is a, this is not my own thinking, so please don't give me more credit than I'm due. It comes primarily out of a book called When Helping Hurts, and there's a couple of great um, thinkers and practitioners in um, development and aid who have sat down and gone, how do we make sure that what we're doing actually meets the need and develops communities towards a sustainable space? That it's not just about us feeling good about ourselves. Because we want to feel good, right? We want to feel like we're being generous. We want to feel like we're doing the right thing. But often if we're not careful, we stop there, don't we? We give our money, we turn around and we keep going on our day. So what this little diagram explains is that often you have communities globally. Ours not too dissimilar, but I'm talking in that larger context. And then you have a crisis or a tragedy that will strike. Now for some communities, some nations, that could be an earthquake, it could be a tsunami, we've seen that in the past, it could be a war, it could be a civil war that takes place, some form of tragedy or crisis that takes place, it could be a mudslide, you know, you can think over and over about communities that we see hitting a crisis point. Now when they hit a crisis point, what they need at that point is relief. Now, relief is very urgent, it's very practical, and primarily it comes from outside that community. It takes people like you and me saying, actually, we've got the resource, here it is, buy shelter, buy soap, buy water, buy food. It's very, very practical, and really most of it comes from outside that community. And we set aside money specifically for disaster relief here, should that happen, that there's spaces that we can give directly to. So there's, there's relief work. And as I said, it's very immediate and it's very practical on the ground. Now, once the crisis has finished, whether it's a, a natural disaster or, or whether it's a civil war, whatever it might be, then we hit this place called rehabilitation. Now, the purpose of rehabilitation is to bring that community back to a new normal. Often it won't be the same normal that existed before the crisis, but there's this recognition that the relief aspect has finished and now it's time for rehabilitation. Now, rehabilitation in most communities is very long and very slow. And really it's about a partnership. It's that space where you'll have local community members coming and being a part of it. You'll have some resource being built from the, um, from the communities themselves, but you'll still have resource coming from outside. You'll have organisations, you'll have donations. You might find that there's, um, you know, wood or all sorts of things needed that need to be shipped in. So there's a partnership here between outside resources and inside resources. But then after things are back to a new normal, whatever that might look like, we then hit this development phase. And development really is looking at how does this community 
go back to being a sustainable community, a healthy community. This is probably where a bit of leadership comes in, where you recognise who's going to lead the next phase of this community. And I show you these different phases, and it's worth noting in that development space, sorry, that's very little outside resource. Now you're talking about people on the ground, the locals owning the work that's taking place. Businesses have begun to be set up again. There's a sense of, you know, whether it's sustainable gardens, you know, produce that's been able to grow again. Very little outside influence happens at development stage. And now I show you this to say that sometimes for those of us that want to help, that want to feel like we're doing good, we really like the relief phase because it's immediate, it's practical, and it, it's what needs to be done right now. So that is primarily, you know, like donation. Um, people love to rally around in that space, don't they, when there's, when there's a crisis, when there's a tragedy. But we have to be really careful that we don't always give communities the relief space. Because if, you, if a community is no longer in crisis, it's no longer in tragedy, it's actually moved beyond that space. Maybe they're in development now, but we're still bringing relief. We're actually undermining the process. So if a community has found its new normal, it actually is wanting to grow and develop and be sustainable, but yet we're still delivering stuff to them in the relief space that says, here's all our resource, here's all our people. An example of this might be going to a developing community that's in development stage, but we want to go and we want to build them a house. We recognise that the, 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 um, the community itself is lacking shelter. So we organise here, we rally around, we grab lots of wood, we grab lots of, you know, all the um, kind of all the materials that are needed. We grab the people and we take a whole truckload or a plane load of people to go and we hit the community and we build these wonderful shelters, these houses for the community. But meanwhile, the community is standing by watching, saying, oh, actually, we don't live in houses like that. And actually, we've got all these young men that need work. And actually, we've got local timber supplies and roof supplies that really need business. And if we'd asked them, they would have said, we've actually got willing men on ground. We've actually got resources we can access. We probably might just need some help planning how we would do that. So you've got to be a little bit mindful in that space of how you come alongside. Does that make sense? And so I say all of that just to say, there's a little bit of thought that needs to go into best practice when it comes to development so that we don't just do what makes us feel good, but that we actually recognise that we want to make sure any community, any developing nation that we're a part of is actually better off when we leave. Not just that we feel good because we've helped out. And it's really important that we recognise we don't have all the answers. We know what works in our context. We don't know what's going to work in a context, in a different cultural context, different religious context, different environment context. So in this space, it's also really important for us to recognise that we have a whole lot more in common than we would realise, that we also have a whole lot to learn. And that's one of the things you would have picked up from that video, the compassion video, the, uh, the five people that went from True North, just how much they were blessed by learning about this culture, this Malang, this city they went to, and how they were engaging in development, developing the local church with leaders and um, a program that they could use. So that's part of the background of, of, of kind of what we're thinking with, the framework we're using to work out what organisations will partner with and why we'll partner. And as I say, yes, this makes sense globally, but that also makes sense locally, doesn't it? You know, if you think about even in your own life, you know sometimes you've got neighbours that are in crisis, that are having a hard time. Sometimes they're in, right in that crisis point, aren't they? They need meals. 
They need kids picked up from school. They need a house cleaned. They need garden tended to. There's very practical things they might need. But then as we hit rehabilitation, they might actually need just to come along and encourage them more, to actually empower them. They're doing a great job. Keep going. Don't lose heart. And then if they're lucky enough to get back to a space where there's a new normal, the idea of what will it mean for them to be able to stand on their own again? How do I empower my neighbour in this situation to feel the sense of worth and dignity that we know God sees in them, that they can then empower someone else? So it's really important as well. Like, don't think it's just globally, but obviously I'm talking in that framework. But what's true for us, what's true for our local context is also true globally. And often if we're not... Our gut is often in that relief space. We don't realise it, but it's easier for us because it's really immediate, it's really practical, and we don't have to continue the long, slow process of rehabilitation because it's really long and it's really slow and it doesn't look that fantastic for a long time. And in development work, it's actually a whole lot less about us. No one's even going to say thank you. When you're empowering someone, when you're empowering people to stand on their own and to, to have those wins that you know, to see that potential come out in them, we don't feel as good about ourselves, if we're honest. Then when we're doing that relief stage, we can go, this is how much I gave and this is what it did. Yes. And that's okay. But it's okay to be mindful too that if we're not careful, we always hit that space. And then we have people, we have communities that actually need to stand and feel a sense of, of, of ownership and a sense of pride in what they're doing. And yet we keep undermining it by continually coming to the relief space, continually bringing things they don't need. You with me? Yeah. Awesome. So let me share with you some of our partnerships. You know, one of the, the church partnerships we have, which kind of, um, if you want to go back just for a second for me, onto that slide again. We have a couple of partnerships we have in South Sudan. And South Sudan's a really interesting country because the war, the civil war, the internal conflict that takes place means that it's been stuck in crisis for a very long time. So it's not as simple as a, as a natural disaster taking place. It's the, the people, they're stuck in this crisis space. They don't have the ability in and of themselves to end that crisis space. So we've been sitting in this relief space with our brothers and sisters in South Sudan for years, actually, trying to help them actually have what's needed until they can finally get to a space where we can help them find a new normal. And the two spaces in particular we um, give in South Sudan, we have partnerships with two gentlemen in our church, um, Samuel is one of them and Benjamin is another. And they are originally from South Sudan and they have strong links still back to their villages in South Sudan. And you can go back to the map now. Thanks, Luke. And uh, you'll see a little phrase there, Malakal. Now, Malakal is a, is a, a town, a city in um, South Sudan. And this is a space that a few people from our church actually visited quite some time ago now. And as part of the process, actually planted a church there. And um, uh, people came to faith and um, there's been a pastor that's kind of has, has owned that space. And they've begun to teach the kids in the local village in that space. Now, Benjamin will often come to me and he will say, you know, for this particular school, you know what, we actually really need pencils <laughs> We really need exercise books. Um, the teachers are doing it really tough. Towards the end of last year, he came and he said, is there any way we could possibly give the teachers a bit of a gift to thank you? Because they all give of their time. Because no one's in a lot of employment. So these are adults that have decided, actually, I may as well build into the local children. Um, and it's quite fascinating as he chats. And to hear that the children that are coming to this church, because they're offering education to the kids. And hear me, they're in that relief space. They're still in crisis. 
you know, there's organisations that still won't venture into that part of South Sudan because it's just too unstable. So they're living in constant kind of, you know, kind of, um, it's not stable. It, it, there's, there's influx and it's not what we would expect of a school like we've got. So he'll often come to me and we'll chat that through and he'll have specific requests and Dean and I will chat about that and, and work out what's in the budget and we're able to send money that can then go towards equipping that school. And often he'll send back photos which has, you know, the school with the, the books and... Because trying to create some kind of transparency because it's really tricky to know sometimes you're not on the ground yourself. So it's a bit of a tricky space. Then the other space is South Sudan is our Kakuma refugee camp. And what happened in a place called Patuet, which is not far from Malakal, some of the local um, community kind of elders, if you like, and Samuel is connected to this village, decided that there was a, a whole generation of young men that they were coming to the soldier age. And they knew that if time went on as it will, that these boys would be recruited and taken for the local army. So they decided they'd embark on a trip, these boys, with a couple of our elders and, 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 and kind of adults to care for them, and head to Kakuma refugee camp, which is in Kenya, and almost sit out the war there so these boys could get an education, they could be safe and they could grow with the intention that once things get back to normal, when they hit that rehabilitation stage, that they could come back and build back into their community. Now again, Samuel will come to me and ask from time to time that the boys need shoes, that the boys need school uniform, that they, um, they even just need some, some extra funds for food because the rations often get cut in the refugee camp. If you've never Googled Kakuma refugee camp, you should. It's a fascinating read about the thousands upon thousands of refugees that have fled there and are in this massive city of tents. And this is where these boys from Patuet sit and there's actually about 50 of them and they, they have a little family there and they're able to access education there and uh, even all right up to high school. Um, the primary school, is it, it, they're able to access free, but from what I can gather with Samuel, once they hit high school, they actually have to pay to be part of the, the high school in that refugee camp. So that's another space in South Sudan that we, um, we give to. And again, this happens sporadically as Samuel comes and sits down. And, um, and so we have to discuss, so what's the greatest need? You know, recently when he came, he talked about the boys just really wanting a couple of lamps at night because they want to, they want to study, they want to read their books at night. But once the power shuts, once the generators, once the power's gone at night, it's gone. There's no access to electricity. So it's funny chatting to him about, like, how could we access some solar lamps? Small things, but for them that, would, that made the world of difference. And so if we move on to Gib River. Here we are, we've had a, a team of guys that have gone there recently. And actually we've got a clip that we can show you. So why don't Luke, you head to the clip and then I can speak a little bit about that. On the 22nd of April, myself and nine others headed up to Broome and then onto the Gibb River Road. It's an amazing opportunity that we get as a church to head into remote indigenous communities and have a chance to hang out. This year was an awesome trip. We're currently in Pandanus at the moment. Uh, we've been to Imogi and Kupungaru. We normally go to another community called Nalaganda, 
but in the Kimberley, you just got to roll with it. And that's how we found ourselves here in Pandanus. And we're, we're here and we're hanging out. We're about to have a barbecue and uh, we've had a great week so far. We're almost at the end um, and it's just been a great journey to hang, make friends and have a good time. of really committed young people who are really excited um, and are putting aside I guess their holidays and coming out here. I'm inspired by the commitment of this group um, to learn more, to be able to just sit back and um, yeah, want to learn from communities, want to see what it's like living up here in remote areas um, and that commitment really towards reconciliation is what um, is so great about this partnership. Oh, excuse me, I just banged my teeth with the microphone. As you can see, they had a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to ask Sam to come up now. Sam's one of the guys that went across, uh, went up, I should say, to Gib River this year. And she's brought some things back from community that she's uh, going to give, um, just kind of explain to us and, and show to us. Um, yeah, so why don't you give some explanation, Sam? Thank you. Hi, everybody. Yes, I'm Sam. Uh, you might have met me or uh, my children, who Levi, who welcomes you each Sunday, and Bella, who looks after your children. Hi, Belle. Um, so I was really privileged to get to go on this trip this year. And I wanted to tell you about two very special activities that we did um, that were all about creating connections and forming friendships with our brothers and sisters in the Kimberleys. So the first activity that we did was part of the river rock craze. I don't know if you've all been aware of the river rock craze. Lots of parents are nodding. Where you decorate rocks and then you hide them. So lots of children and families from both this campus and Merriwa decorated about 300 rocks that we took up to share with the children. We also took up plain rocks so they could decorate their own um, and that was one of the special activities that we did. The other activity that we did was we took up some triangles, you might have seen us painting on there, um, to be able to get the children and the community members and all of us together and the World Vision team to paint together and tell stories as we painted these pieces of canvas. And that was such a special time. We had so many family members sit down with us and yarn with us as we painted. And this was a special activity because we wanted to be able to create bunting to leave in each community to hang up to celebrate our special time there. 
part of that was that we created pieces in each community to bring back and share with you guys here because we wanted to show that we weren't just going up there to give them things. We were wanting to form friendships and part of friendships is sometimes sharing things together. So they were really special and they, they helped us pick things to have to give back to you. So the two special things I have to present to church today is firstly some bunting, which represents... Um, each, we've got one for here and for Marawa, and this represents the friendships from all of the communities we visited. Um, it also represents the True North team and the World Vision team. We've all painted things. So I'll get Lauren and maybe Levi. Can you come up and help? So this is very special. That's perfect. To be honest, for me, probably the most significant moment of the trip was when one of the elders uh, in Kupangari, actually, she was so taken by the beautiful artwork on all the rocks that we brought up there. I've got to try not to cry when I talk about this. She came and gave us permission to take rocks from the land because she said that it's important that we, when we're creating friendships, that we share. And she wanted us to have some rocks from their land. And to be honest, I didn't think much, much more of it because I thought that the gesture itself was so beautiful. But the next day when we were down at the river and they were teaching us how to fish, she actually came and got me and we went for a walk while everybody stood and watched and we collected some, some special sacred rocks to bring back to share with our children. So, let's present them. So as you can see, the, the, the space being built up there with Give River is really about friendship and is about recognising that as brothers and sisters that we share a whole lot more in common than we do different. And um, it's a really interesting space to watch develop. We partner with World Vision there, you would have seen in the clip. And as well as uh, Gib River Road, if you want to head to the map again, we've got a few other projects that I'll just very quickly talk to you about. And uh, one of them's down in um, Bulawayo. So in Bulawayo in Zimbabwe, we have a partnership with GMP where we're, um, each September we're able to partner and donate towards Safe Water September, which is a borehole project that exists on the ground um, where there's locals that are uh, um, partnering with different communities and recognising where there is great need for water. And uh, I got the privilege last year of going along and seeing some of these bores get activated and a whole pile of young men coming on board full of excitement who are out of work come and build this bore with the help of one of the, um, one of the uh, specialists on the ground and it was such a, a privilege to see. Um, but also with GMP in Zimbabwe, we're looking at developing a leadership um, development space where there's a, some young men in each village that are kind of earmarked as, as, as wonderful Christian leaders with a heart for God and a heart for ministry who need to be um, sponsored to go through Bible college. And uh, so we have the privilege, there's a couple of young men in particular, that we um, are chatting with GMP around to look at how can we actually sponsor their pathway through Bible college so that these young men can be built into and can be established and they can go back into their villages and actually lead the local churches. So there's a leadership development um, partnership. You'll hear more about that in coming weeks as we um, establish that with, um, with GMP, which is Global Missions partner Partners, and that's a Churches of Christ Overseas Aid Organisation. And then you'll see Cebu there as well. And in Cebu in the Philippines, we've partnered for the last few years with an organisation called IJM, which is International Justice Mission. And this is an um, organisation that works primarily um, with trafficked families and trafficked children and recognising that for some of the developing nations, their, their lack of strength in their law enforcement means there's a lot that goes on that shouldn't go on. I mean, funnily enough, well, I shouldn't say funnily enough, but scarily enough, we have that actually even happening in our own country. But in some 
nations in particular, it's a really big issue. And IJM come on along the ground and they have, they have lawyers, they have um, um, trained professionals that enter into particular uh, developing nations and partner with local law, and law enforcement agencies. They come and they equip and they train these agencies so they're better equipped to identify children who might be trafficked, to identify families that are actually enslaved and, and working under conditions that are not actually um, human, human at all. So they're a wonderful organisation who are really in the, in the kind of dirt, if you like. They're doing a really hard work. They're dealing with really difficult and tricky situations. And um, we're able to partner with them by giving to their work in Cebu in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, each week they send a prayer request of different things that IJM are dealing with around the world and ask us to partner with that. And that's a... a um, a prayer thing that you could be a part of as well. And, uh, and I just mentioned that to say there's all sorts of different works. Some of them fit in relief, some of them fit in rehabilitation and others in development. But it's recognising that in each situation that we're able to partner with organisations who have got knowledge on the ground. They've got an understanding of what's taking place. And our hope in each of these spaces as time goes by is there's for that relationship, that friendship that Sam mentioned and really trusting that actually that God could get the glory for this work. Our heart is that as we become the hands and feet for Christ, we can communicate to some people the very fact that God sees them, the very fact that they are not forgotten, that they have not been overlooked, that there is a God who loves them and sees them. And purely that simple message sometimes we can take for granted. But then as we physically demonstrate with, with aid and development, we can also show a God who's practical, who cares about the individuals, who cares about the practicalities of life. And I hope in other times, um, in different spaces, as we're able to communicate as well the love of Christ. I witnessed a wonderful young man in Zimbabwe as one of the boreholes got opened. Communicate how this borehole is for everybody because we serve a God who loves everybody. He said, this borehole is not for special people. It's not even just for church people. It's for everybody in this community. And so it's wonderful and it's quite interesting to see how you can communicate the love of God into different situations. When you go to Indonesia, and see the work of compassion and the local church building into children that are being left behind. There is no doubt in that community's mind where the help's coming from. It's coming from Jesus because it's the local church, it's the volunteers of that church who are actually caring about my child, who are building into my family. So the gospel, the good news of Christ is being communicated in lots of different ways over the space. And so there's so much more I could share this morning, but that's all I have to share with you. And um, I'm going to invite the band up and, and, and just encourage you to know that there's a lot that you are partnering with, that you're contributing towards. And, you know, if you give here in this place, that's what your giving is going towards. And can I challenge you, if you haven't thought about giving in this space either, to recognise there's a whole lot more going on. We'd love you to partner with us. We'd love you to be a part of the kingdom work of rebuilding that we believe our God is invested in. It begins with me and my life being rebuilt. It begins with a God who wants to rebuild your life, but our hope is that it can be so much more than just that, that that can have a ripple effect all around the globe. And that as we do our part, as other churches do their part, as different people do their part, that we can see a rebuilding, a renewal in the kingdom of God that can only be done by the work of God. So let me just pray. Why don't you stand? And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to enter into a time of worship. Father God, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you that you're a God who rebuilds. 
But Father, more than that, I just thank you that you have renewed my life. Father, I thank you for a grace and a peace and a love and a joy and a strength that is only found in you. And Father, I pray this morning you would open our hearts so that our hearts would be large enough to receive the great need that is evident in our world. Lord, we recognise that we don't have much in our hand at all. But Lord, we ask that you would help us use what you've given us. Father, that it can have the most far-reaching impact. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who even right now as we speak may be caught up in situations and wars and slavery. Father God, that's just unacceptable. Father, I thank you that you see them. Father, may you wake us up from our sleep that we would partner with you in the work that you long to do. May we not be caught napping on this watch, Father God. Give us the courage we need to sacrifice where it's needed, to put our hand to the plough where it's needed and to stand up and advocate where that's needed as well. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you and your love in Christ is a starting point. And Father, we pray that all glory and all honour would be yours. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.